lights. It's seven Friday night. Welcome to the newest episode of Seven Friday Night. I'm Sports Stars Magazine editor Chase Bryson, and with me, as always, my unapologetic, often eccentric, and always informative co-host Ben Enos. Ben, hello, and how was your Thanksgiving? Did you heed last week's episode ending advice from my sons and refrain from fumbling your turkey? I did. I did. I tend to listen to your children. Those are smart children. Um... Well, hello, everyone in podcast land. This week on Storytime with Seven Friday Night, we are confronted with our own mortality. The fact that there are only two weeks left in the high school football season, well, it's got me sad. You know what's not sad, though? Thanksgiving. (laughs) Thanksgiving was and will always be awesome. We are going to ask Coach Edson this later, but I put it to you first. Top three Thanksgiving foods of all time. Sub question. <laughs> what would you vote off your Thanksgiving Island? Wow. All right. Top three Thanksgiving foods. All right. I would go with mashed potatoes. One heavy butter. Um, always go heavy butter on the mashed potatoes. Number two probably is the stuffing from uh, my uh, wife's side of the family. Granny Janny makes the stuffing and it is phenomenal. And then I would go on three, actually three this year was the turkey, this year specifically, because uh, we, uh, my brother-in-law tried barbecuing it for the first time and it actually turned out quite good. I was really impressed. Um, and it was very juicy and uh, had a kind of a, it wasn't a smoky flavor because it was on a gas grill, but it was still really good. I really liked it. My voting off, my voting off would be pretty much any casserole. <laughs> okay. I haven't met a good Thanksgiving casserole that I've liked yet. So fair. The challenge well, is extended to anyone who wants to send us recipes for a good Thanksgiving casserole, and I will judge accordingly. One hundred percent. And I will echo your uh, praise of a barbecued turkey. For many many years, the secret to turkey in the Enos household was the barbecue. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I I was way impressed. I suppose we should talk some football. So (laughs) the day after I stuffed myself, uh, section finals took place all over Northern California. I took what we now know is my only trip of the year to pirate stadium to see Pittsburgh beat Clayton Valley charter 28 to 14 to win the NCS division one crown. No Jaden Rashada for the pirates. No problem. As Christian Aguilar threw for 275-ish yards and three touchdowns. Let me tell you, though, if I was a backup quarterback and I was thrown into the fire, I would want Rashid Williams by my side. <laughs> that guy is a difference maker, plain and simple, and I thought he helped Aguilar gain confidence early in the game, which then opened it up for all the other great receivers that the Pirates have. Clayton Valley is a quality team. Just ask Liberty of Bakersfield, who the Pirates play this week. But I really felt like the talent level, along with a really nice game plan on both sides of the ball from the Pittsburgh coaching staff, made a big difference. So the next night, and here's my ode to our friend, Uncle Harold. (laughs) I parked the camels and I worked the buttons and knobs while you headed to Pleasanton. 
for the NCS D2 final between Campolindo and Foothill. What say you both about the D1 final and your reaction to that game and the D2 final that you saw in person? Well, I was, I was out of town on Friday and we were finishing up our vacation at my, uh, at my parents' house for Thanksgiving. You texted me very early in the, in the evening, the Rashada news. And I, I think I texted you back that I wasn't too concerned because I, I, I mean, I wasn't too concerned for Pittsburgh only because I'd, I'd seen uh, Christian Aguilar throw in, in uh, workouts before. And I, I was quite impressed. And so I, I, uh, I think I texted you back that uh, he's a pretty good backup. I think they'll be all right. And, Turns out it, it worked out for them. So good for Christian Aguilar. Um, I remember covering his his brother Joey at Freedom, um, who was also a good quarterback. So yeah, it, impressive win for Pittsburgh. Glad they got their second chance. We've talked about that ad nauseum. We'll talk about it more today. But they deserve to move on. And that game against Liberty will be good. As for my game on Saturday, the, the NCS Division II final ended up being quite good, but quite weird as well. It had a little bit of everything, an interception return for a touchdown, a 75-yard offensive scoop and score during a kick return, a late fumble to set up a potential game-tying drive with less than two minutes to go, and a diving interception in the end zone that sealed the win. That pick by Bradley Nestle sealed a 21-14 Campbell in the win over Foothill Pleasanton and actually completed a shutout by the Cougars' defense. Seventh overall title for Campo, their first since 2017. I think Cougars coach Kevin Macy would likely be the first to tell you that this group certainly won't rank among his most talented section championship teams, but it might be a scrappiest and most resilient. Really impressed with how that team has kind of rallied around itself after those first two big blowouts early in the year. And, you know, we both said it after you watched them hold off a good double squad. We weren't going to be surprised that they made a run. I, I kidded with Coach Macy after the game uh, that he was going to have to join the EBAL now because he's 2-0 against them. Um, and he didn't like that. He didn't find a whole lot of humor in that. <laughs> you gave him nightmares that night. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> but but he, uh, he was 2-0 against them this year. So props to Campo. And uh, yeah, they have, a, they have quite a matchup this week. We'll be talking about that some more too uh, moving forward. Lots of good matchups this week. I will uh, mention at this point, Bradley Nestle. Uh, my introduction to Bradley Nestle this year was that in their game against Dublin, Campo pulled one of the, and I don't know if they'll cop to this or not, but they pulled one of the old-timey football uh, switcheroos. They wore alternate unis. And so uh, they wore the, they pulled their blues out, and the numbers were different. So Nestle made a play, and I had to ask one of the assistant coaches, hey, who's that? <laughs> That's uh, always the worst. There's yeah. nothing like... There's nothing like seeing a great play and looking at your roster and the number's not there. And it was like number five too. It wasn't an <laughs> insignificant number. So, um, so yeah, no, I'm, you know, you, you teed it up for uh, that game this week. And I, I'm really looking forward to that game because I always, always, always enjoy taking in a game at McClyman's. Um, but before we actually get to the game, I'll actually cite something that our friend Mark tennis at Cal high sports tweeted that he felt Mac was placed way too low uh, in the breakdown of games because they have a win over Marine Catholic. They beat Manteca in the spring and Manteca's up in, in a couple divisions higher. So we're going to see if that's the case. Uh, but I, I actually really enjoy this matchup. I think it's two really good football teams that are well-coached. 
and especially when you factor in that Campo coach Kevin Macy has Oakland roots. So, you know, that, that doesn't get talked about all the time. So I think it's, it's really going to be a super fun contrast in styles football wise at the Mac house. Um, that provides the perfect segue to this week and all the other games that are coming up. And I suppose we should start with our reactions to the bowl seedings. And I'm going to be honest, I'm on record in this, uh, <laughs> in this spot. I'm no novice. And I think you need a Ouija board to figure this stuff out. A's double A's might as well be triple A because I need roadside assistance at this point. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm fine with pretty much everything except sending Pittsburgh South in the D one a game. I feel like they got a bit of the short end of the stick there. Um, as for the top game, you and I have both gone back and forth on this one. We've both felt at times that it should be Sarah. And at times we both felt like it should be De La Salle. So I, I will say we both eventually landed on De La Salle. And when you and I discussed the, this week's sports stars, NorCal rankings, they reflected that. Uh, but I'm curious for you, what was the process of ranking teams like this week? And what do you think about how the bowl game shook out? I'll start with the ranking. The rankings, rankings are at this time of the year are really are, are, are almost the hardest part because you're you're weighing teams whose seasons are over but have stronger resumes, and you have teams that are below them that are still winning, and you have to decide how much of these wins matter to get above some of these teams that aren't playing anymore that still have good resumes. So it gets really tough. Trying to figure out the top spot, I settled on it pretty early that it should be Dave LaSalle. And I think I mean, I wrote about it in, in the rankings that they had a, they do have a stronger resume, in my opinion, overall. Um, and I think when I, I started looking at the games against St. Francis for Sarah, and then I realized that, hey, the CCS championship game, if, if that indeed decided at all, like we are meant to believe, it's tough because De La Salle didn't get a, a, their own rematch against St. Francis. And then I looked at those two, I looked at the three games between the two, and figured out that, you know, De La Salle went to St. Francis, lost by three in the last minute in four quarters. St. Francis, or Sarah, then got eight quarters to play against St. Francis and still was outscored by a combined 19 points. So, you know, you can twist the any way you want to twist it, but I, I think De La Salle probably deserved that spot. I, neither one of us really believe it's going to matter because of who is on the SoCal side of that open game. But, um, you know, I... I think in the end, I honestly think the committee just wanted to, that this was their one chance, or at least their first chance in many, many years to advance someone other than De La Salle. And I think that was too enticing for them to pass up because they could put some logic behind it without getting a ton of blowback. And I think that's why they did it. Uh, overall, uh, and you also mentioned the Pittsburgh thing. I don't think they should have had to travel, but we'll talk about this a little bit more later with Coach Edson. And he's got some thoughts on the two as to why they might have ended up having to make making them travel. Um, but either way, Pittsburgh is, I'm sure, is just thrilled to be in it at this point, and they should be. So as we get ready for these matchups, I thought it would be fun to introduce a new segment to the show. We are going to play our first game show <laughs> with only one contestant. Because when you've, contestant. Gone, when you've gone like 700 weeks, why not change the game plan? I know. Let's, uh, we're going to play Name That Team. You are going to hear descriptions of teams, and you're going to have to guess which team I'm talking about. These are all teams that are playing in bowl games this week from Northern California. 
I will give you some facts and or stats or something to that effect. And you can tell us who you think the description belongs to. Dolly Parton. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Your first team to name. Our five shutout wins are the most of any team within the top five divisions. Our only loss was to a team that's also playing this weekend. We produced two NFL quarterbacks and had another starting for a Big Ten team this season. Marin Catholic? Yes! Very good. All right. Can you name the quarterback in the Big Ten this year? No, I can't. (laughs) Spencer Petrus of Iowa. Oh, wow. Okay. And the two NFL quarterbacks were? Uh, Jared Goff and... I'm blanking on the stand bounce. Hand bounce. Okay. All right. Let's go. Very good. You're one for one. Here we go. Our squad has a pair of receivers that have both eclipsed 900 yards and 10 plus touchdowns on the season. Our lone loss this season was by one point. Our best wins this season came against the same opponent each time by the same exact score. Uh, Chico. No. Ah. Windsor. Makai Johnson and Hayden Anderson both have 900 yards and 10 plus touchdowns. A receiver loan loss was a 28 27 to Rancho, and best wins were 38 14s over Benicia both times. I suppose I should have paid more attention to the final score of last week's game against Benicia because <laughs> I saw the first one and I would have known that. All right, here we go. One, one out of two. All right. This one, we feature an offense that boasts the state's leading scorer by more than 35 points among stats reported to MaxPreps.com. We scored less than 28 points just one time all season. Um, state's hmm. leading scorer has 270 points on 41 touchdowns, I believe. I'm going to say San Marin? No. You were looking for Thor and Manteca. Blake Nicholson. Wow. Okay. All right. Last one. I feel confident you'll get this one. Nicholson Nicholson is leading the state in scoring despite the fact that he missed a game? Yes. Wow. And it's the only game they didn't score at least 28 points. They were blank that night. Wow. Okay. All right. Last one. Our leading rusher only has 1,190 yards over 12 games. However, our rushing offense features three different players with at least 10 touchdowns. We feature a two-way player with a commitment to Notre Dame, but of course that may change now. The Spartans of Dale South? That is correct. Yeah. Well okay. Notre Dame gave it away. Yeah. All these numbers and everything. I'm not so <laughs> good with the numbers. Very good. The, the three uh, the three running backs with 10-plus touchdowns – well, the three backs with 10-plus touchdowns are uh, Charles Greer, um, who is their leading rusher with 1190. Um AJ Bianchina and quarterback Luke Norman all have at least 10 rushing touchdowns. All right. There you go. You went two for two. Congratulations. I'm in the hall of fame. 500. Collect your door prize. Well, well, I may have gone 500 in that game. That was, we're going to need to work on our game show uh, rapport. And uh, at one point I would like to get to the point where we are as good as What's up with that now for, for you non SNL fans, that's an obscure SNL reference. Uh, We will pivot back to some guys who know 
a little bit about what is going on this week. We are very, very pleased to be joined by a pair of brothers, or two brothers rather, just just brothers. We are pleased to be joined by brothers who will be on the field at Owen Owens Field in Concord this Friday night. We are talking, of course, about the Tremaine brothers from Folsom. Tyler, who we like to affectionately call QB1 uh, on this podcast, and Josh, the uh, linebacker extraordinaire, who I've, uh, I believe in this spot, have called one of the most feared defensive forces in all of Northern California this year. So, of course, the Bulldogs are coming off of a victory over Rockland in which they avenged a earlier loss last week. And so they'll get another chance this week against De La Salle. So we thought it was appropriate to catch up with the Tremaines, see how last week went, and see what they are planning to do this week when faced with a familiar opponent. Without further ado, let's listen in to uh, Josh and Tyler Tremaine. All right, for the first time this year, we're welcoming into the show a pair of brothers, and not just any brothers. One of them is QB1 with 35 touchdowns and just 10 starts this season. The other is the team's inside linebacker and leading tackler on defense. He has 124 tackles and four sacks through 13 games. They just led Folsom to a 20-3 win over previously undefeated Rockland in the SJS Division I Championship. And we'll face a rematch this week with De La Salle in the CIF 1AA Regional. It's Tyler and Josh Tremaine. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, quite a win last week, and we've paid attention and watched all year long. Uh, how can you not watch Folsom? We were there week one to see you guys play Monterey Trail. Just an epic display against a team that turned out to be really one of the best in Northern California. Um, but last week, of course, caught everyone's eye 20 to three over a Rockland team that managed to score on pretty much everyone it came across this season. So, first of all, Congrats on that. And second, Josh, we're going to start with you because nobody ever starts with the defense, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in looking back at that game, I'm curious to know what you guys changed on that side of the ball and what the biggest key was for your defense to be able to hold Rockland in check after they were so successful the first time around. Yeah, so we played a tough season uh, schedule all year to get ready for these big games. So we were ready coming into it and we just had to change up a few little things, but um, we've been pretty solid all year and we're able to just perform and we came out ready to play. What's the, what's the characteristic of your defense? Like what, what do you kind of hang your hat on as a defensive unit at Folsom? Yeah, we always fly around and have each other's back and we're always um, 11 people to the ball is our big emphasis this year. All right, Tyler, tell us a little bit about what the win on Friday meant to you um, and what it's been like to lead this playoff run after having to sit for close to a month with, with your shoulder injury. Yeah, this, this win was definitely a nice one coming off my three or four games that I missed. Um, not being able to play the first time really, really killed me because I know I just couldn't do anything about it. So being able to come back out there and be with my team and lead us to a great win was, was awesome. I'm going to ask Josh kind of a, a similar question just about, about your injury. I know it had to be tough watching Tyler go through that. I mean, especially when – when you're a, a leader on, on, a, on a team like that and you've got to sit, and especially while the team is losing during that stretch, you had, you had a couple of those losses back to back. So what was it kind of like, uh, you know, kind of uh, watching uh, Tyler go through that and, and how did you help kind of keep him steady? 
Um, so, yeah, it was um, hard to watch him not out there. You know, we've been playing together since we were seven years old. So our whole team is pretty close. So it was weird without him, but we all stayed together and just did what we could out there. So that was then, this is now, and we were joking a second ago that it's good to still be practicing, which means there's still football to play this week. And so Tyler, I'll, I'll come back to you to start kind of the breakdown of what lies ahead. And it's kind of a two-part question. First of all, what was your team's initial reaction when you saw who you were going to play this week? Um, because you guys had to wait it out just like we did. Um, and, and what do you think the offense can try and do this time differently to get into a little bit more of a rhythm this time around? Yeah. So our, um, our first like thoughts about hearing the game and how it was going down the Saturday that we didn't know. And then getting to know on Sunday, like our team, we, we'd heard things and we saw like the predictions, Liberty out of Bakersfield and all that stuff. And when, when the De La Salle game got announced, it was, it was really cool because we were excited that we got our rematch. We, we wanted it and we're definitely ready and excited and more prepared. And the offense to, we, we really, we were, we, we were playing very good against De La Salle in the first one. And there's definitely more room for improvement. We just have to capitalize on what the defense is giving us. And we drove the ball a few times, but didn't come out, come away with any points. And we just, we can't have those good drives that lead to no points. We, we can't have any wasted snaps. I think, Josh, if you if you kind of take the the two touchdowns that De La Salle scored, basically all special teams, they, they had the, the kickoff return to start the game, and then the, the, the short touchdown right after the pump block, right? You yeah. take those two away, it's a 17-14 game. I thought your I was there. I thought your defense actually played a really strong game against them for the most part. What do you guys kind of see on the defensive side of the ball this week that you can continue to utilize to, so that you guys can kind of keep them in check? Yeah, so they're obviously a very fast and physical team. And so we're just coming out to match the intensity and our goal is just get the offensive ball as much as we can and let them do their thing out there. Funny that you guys mentioned Liberty Bakersfield. I was out at Pittsburgh on Friday night. They were convinced they were going to play Liberty Bakersfield. They weren't convinced that they were going to have to go to Bakersfield. You guys tell me how that's Northern California. Um, but uh, um, Tyler, I will, uh, I'll toss in an extra question here. Just, um, you know, how do you approach a rematch game? Is there, is it any different than whether or not you would have played a new opponent? Is there an advantage or a disadvantage to getting another shot at a team? Yeah, there is definitely a big advantage on our part. Um, my dad's always told us the hardest thing to do in football is to beat a team twice. And I really believe that. And so I think we're going in the underdogs to this game. So we had nothing to lose and we're, we're going to play our hearts out and do everything we can. So Speaking of beating a team twice, uh, we talked about last week, but the week before, you guys getting Jesuit. Talk us through that last drive that you guys led to, to take that game. Yeah, so that last drive, we uh, we really we really needed it in, in the moment. And our offense, we'd been driving the ball. It was just stupid penalties and one turnover and one one misplay here and there that was really killing us. So that last drive, everything everything went well, and we 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 converted when we needed to on fourth and two on a really big play and then obviously the two-point conversion at the end was huge so yeah nice to have targets like uh rico and, and a walker isn't it yeah for sure <laughs> all right well we're gonna finish this up with with uh, a little bit of fun um 
And uh, Ben and I are going to alternate asking each of you guys some some hot seat questions uh, about each other. I will start, um, and I'll ask Josh, who's the oldest and by how many minutes? Uh, Tyler is older and by two minutes. Oh, narrow. Two minutes, wow. <laughs> yeah. We, we know why he's successful in the two-minute drill now. All right. <laughs> uh, Tyler, who, uh, who wins in a game of one-on-one -on -one hoops? Um, I'll be honest with you. We're both terrible, but probably Josh, just because he can drive to the board. <laughs> Chase, you may be the best basketball player of the whole group here. Uh, uh, let's go, Josh. Who has the messier room? Bedroom. Oh, definitely Tyler. <laughs> uh, all right, Tyler. Who who would be better? I didn't at... dispute that. <laughs> yeah, there was no no pushback here. No pushback. <laughs> Tyler, who would be better at surviving a night in the wild? Uh, Josh, for sure. He, his outdoor skills are a lot better than mine. I'm a, I'm a very school-oriented mind. <laughs> Josh, who, what's the one thing that you two argue over the most? Um, I don't know. We argue over everything. <laughs> We're very competitive. All right. Well, guys, we, uh, we definitely appreciate you guys taking the time. And uh, wish you guys the best of luck. We... Um, We'll have uh, we'll be talking a lot about this game on on the rest of the podcast. It, it's going to be a good one. Uh, it's, it should be a lot closer this time, I think. And sure, you guys will. Uh, you guys are hoping for that, I'm sure. So. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on everything, and uh, we'll we'll see you guys on Friday night. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, you guys. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you, you guys. And now we're going to take a quick timeout for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner the California Army National Guard. We understand an upside down world, but they're writing us off before we get to the starting line. A stalled generation? Who do you think is gonna fix all this? We will, because our future is the future. The next greatest generation is now. Visit nationalguard.com to find out more. And now, back to the show. Well, it was nice to get a hold of those guys, have some fun with them. Get some of their thoughts on uh, on De La Salle this week. I'm sure that's going to be a good game. And, uh, you know, we definitely appreciate them taking the time. Uh, speaking of the big game this week, I know who the next person will be rooting for in that matchup. It's our favorite routine guest. And he will be ready to chat with us about all things seating meetings and all things uh, Thanksgiving foods and we are going to listen in now and see what the old ball coach, Terry Edson, has in store for us this week. Well, it's time once again, as it is every week, for us to enjoy the dulcet tones and calm demeanor of Coach Terry Edson. Coach, welcome back for a post-Thanksgiving edition of Football Talk. Things are getting pretty real at this point, aren't they? Oh, yeah. You know, we're getting down to uh, the last two games of the year for some teams and the last game of the year for a lot of teams. So this is uh, where dreams are made, Ben. This is where dreams are made. <laughs> well, I will spare everyone a deep dive into my dreams. Um, but before we get to uh, football chatter on the heels of one of my favorite uh, holidays every year, I, I do have a Slightly offbeat question for you. I'm curious as to your top three all-time Thanksgiving foods, a ranking, if you will. What do you go for first on Thanksgiving? <laughs> My top, okay, well, this is a long-standing tradition 
in uh, my wife's family that I married into this. So this became one of my uh, top foods by, by marriage. And that is chestnut soup. That is a family tradition that uh, I got it from my brother-in-law when I used to, used to have a Thanksgiving feast in this duck club in Mountain View. I used to drive all the way out there. That's how much I love that soup. And then uh, that's now the recipe has been passed down and my sister-in-law made it for Thanksgiving. So that was delicious. So that's the first thing um, I always go for is the chestnut soup. And I got to have no canned cranberry sauce, not that malted thing, whatever it is. I got to have real cranberries, but th that's a must. Cranberries um, with my turkey, I got to have that. And we didn't have it because we couldn't find any, Ben. Uh, but my mom's recipe of twice baked potatoes, you have to get it, get um, the hash brown potatoes. They, they were just nowhere to be found this time around. But uh, my mom, I, I go, that goes back to me being a little kid. She made this twice uh, baked potatoes. Potatoes are just awesome. So those are my uh, three things for sure for Thanksgiving. Foiled by the supply chain. Potatoes. I don't know if it was, uh, yeah. I, I found we looked online. Uh, I have to go to Lenardi's and see if they have it there. But we, at that point, my sister in law just said, I'm making mashed potatoes. And I said, That's fine. Well, I'll look for something for Christmas now. That was a, a unique and quality list. That was well done. Yes. Thank you. All right. Let's well, get back to Ben's Freudian dreams, though. I think. <laughs> Well, Coach, it, it was a fascinating week of section championships with a few results that really clouded up the top of the top of the food mm -hmm. chain. Sarah avenged its loss to number one ranked St. Francis in the CCS Division One final. Folsom topped undefeated Rockland in the SGS Division One final, and then everyone got to debate for 36 hours which team CIF should offer up to national number one modern day Santa Ana in the CIF Open Division Bowl. And they eventually chose Sarah, but there are some, including you who find some fault in that logic, share with us your initial thoughts on the matter, and then perhaps give us some insight on what it's like serving on those types of committees. Yeah, well, the, being on it, first of all, um, I've always, when I was coaching, I always told the players that you don't want to uh, leave your fate in the hands of a football committee and that you need to take care of business on your own. So. You know, that step one is, you know, we didn't take care of business when we had an opportunity to take care of business. So that that's, you know, right off the bat, I, I want to say that. But, you know, I, I have been on uh, committees before. And, you know, the, the first thing when you're on a committee, the first thing you want to look at, of course, is this, the team strength of schedule. So, you know, the record matters, but I've been on committees where, you know, a team that was seven and three just played a ridiculously a harder schedule than a team that was like nine and one or even 10 and oh. And your strength of schedule matters as, as far as I'm concerned. Then of course, the best thing you can do is go head to head. And that when you've got a head to head, that's the easiest way to do any type of a committee seating. So, um, you look at the head-to-head, -head, right? You've got uh, Sarah playing St. Francis and losing by over 20 points the first time they played them at home. Um, 
the the head to head that would have been nice would have been Sarah Pittsburgh and us Pittsburgh, but of course that game got canceled. So the next best thing you could have done was looked at Valley Christian. Valley Christian played Sarah and lost to him by seven, lost to them by 11. So they played them twice and they kept them, you know, seven and 11. Pittsburgh played Valley Christian, beat them by 22. I mean, we beat Pittsburgh by, I think, 28, something like that. So I think that should be taken in consideration. The other thing that should be taken in consideration is the fact that De La Salle beat four section champions. They beat Pittsburgh, they beat Folsom, they beat Cathedral Catholic, and they beat Monterey Trail. So we beat four section champions. I could be wrong. Did Sarah, uh, did Sarah beat any section champions? Did uh, they, no. I'm trying to think. They did not. Although Monterey That's, Trail was technically not. They are a session finalist, but Oh, I Still. thought they won the game. Oh, they lost the game. They lost the game. So you won. You I, thought, I thought they won. I thought they won. Okay. Well, that, yeah. yeah. Okay. But so these are things to take into consideration. I mean, uh, I'd like to point out too that, you know, it's, it's, and this is why, you know, I'm concerned about the Folsom game this Friday. It's hard to beat a team twice in the same year. Uh, you guys mentioned Folsom won, Sarah won, and Manteca uh, mm -hmm. lost against Oakdale. So there's three games right there where you play the second round. Now, all I read was the committee said, well, Sarah beat St. Francis, so it was, it was over and done with. And I'm like, well, they had two, <laughs> they had two chances at it and uh, within three weeks. And, you know, we'd love to have a, a second uh, crack at St. Francis ourselves, but <laughs> get that chance. So I just don't think they made it seem like it was obvious. I just didn't, and that's all I read in the paper. Now, I, I wasn't at the committee meeting, so I don't know. But uh, it just, I didn't think it was obvious at all. And I thought this was gonna take a while, uh, but the way it sounded like in the paper and quoting the, the section, the people that were doing it, it was like, oh yeah, this was kind of like over and done with pretty quickly. And I was like, well, that's surprising to me, but you know. I'm just a lowly retired high school football coach and teacher right now. So <laughs> uh, one thing I do disagree with, with the way they're doing things though, I, I will say this. I just don't understand how hard it would be to simply let the coaches make presentations to the committee, give them three minutes. I don't understand why this has to be done without coach involvement. And the other thing is that this isn't like the NCAA tournament where these guys are hired and they're working on, you know, the tournament for three months. So by the time the selection committee, you know, is ready to go, they've looked at this. Most of these people have real jobs and they probably looked at it, you know, for maybe an hour or so. So any help, I would assume they would, you know, would love to have any help. And it, you know, and then when you have, it's not like it's going to take forever. There'd be coaches that will walk up and just say, we're happy to be here, put us wherever you want. I mean, that's going to happen. And there's going to be- They can do it over Zoom. They don't even have to be there. Oh no, right, of course. Of course, that's what I was saying too. You can just do it over Zoom, but coaches should be able to make their case to why they should be in the open or division one or why we should be in. I just, I don't understand after they spend all this time, why they don't, they don't get a say and represent their players. And I'm not saying the section commissioners aren't doing a great job, but they have a lot of teams they have to represent. 
And it's not fair to them to be able to make cases for everyone. The person that can make the, the best case for their team is their coach. I have a couple of uh, thoughts on, on all that. The first being Sarah actually did beat one section champion, Sacred Heart Cathedral won a section oh, title. Okay, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. Right. Uh, second, the issue of transparency in meetings is something Chase and I were talking about earlier today. Um, and something that we've talked about for a really long time in the context of the North Coast section specifically, because we're veteran enough uh, in this business to remember when coaches did get in a room at Las Lomas High School or wherever and make a presentation and the media was allowed in. And so, you know, I walked away and, and I read the same quote that you did in the paper, walked away saying, well, even in March Madness, the, um, the head of the committee answers questions from the media. At least there's a chance to ask what the rationale was. And it just didn't seem like that happened this year. For all the time and effort the, these coaches put into it and the players as well, of course, and all the time they're putting in, it, it just would be fair to get some answers. So just so they, they have an idea, sort of sense of closure, at least. I mean, you don't have to agree with it, but at least just to hear what's going on so that that that's surprising to me and i don't know what can be done about that and i don't know if they'll do anything about it or if they even care about what we think but uh <laughs> the bottom line is I, I would just like to see I, I was on those committees when everybody was staring at me you had to see teams and everyone's looking at you and you're going like oh i hope i get out of this room and you know nobody follows me to <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't doing the De La Salle bracket, obviously. I was going to a lower division, but I knew the teams and I, and I knew their strengths. I mean, I knew, you know, their schedule. And actually, when I was done after back in those days, I used to get nothing but compliments saying, thank you. You know, that was fair. And I, I know you did the best you could. And even when they disagreed with me, you know, they, they didn't fault my logic or they knew I was, you know, I, I was taking my time and I wasn't rushing it because they knew that I understood the time and effort that goes into a football season. The um, Dale Salcera debate was absolutely uh, scenario number one, but scenario number two and the thing that stood out to us the most was the decision to make the North Coast Section Division One champion Pittsburgh Pirates travel to Liberty of Bakersfield next week. Now, this sets up uh, a couple different things. First of all, the NCS champion having to go so far is a unique uh, thing in itself, but it also sets up a situation wherein if Pittsburgh wins and then has to travel back, then has to go back to Mission Viejo and Saddleback College the following week. So in the absence of clearly defined criteria and explanations for everything that happened, I'm curious to, to get your take on, on the Pittsburgh uh, deal and what they're going to have to go through, not just this week, but potentially for the next two weeks. Right. So I, like you just said, I don't know if there's a defined criteria. So they're not, they're not doing this by like us. They're not like seeding them and then matching them up that way. So I guess they just don't want to play two games so close together because, you know, revenue-wise, it's going to take away from people watching games because if you put two teams right next to each other within five miles, then people, then the, the local fans may have to make a choice this way 
you know, I'm sure most people aren't going to travel to Bakersfield, so they're hoping to get the gate. You know, people are coming to the Delisau game. That's that's the only logical thing I can think of on that. And maybe, I mean, I know Ben, you said that um, a few of the Pittsburgh coaches wondered if Pittsburgh might get dinged a little bit because they didn't sweep their playoff run. They did have a loss in the playoffs. Whereas I'm sure the teams Bakersfield are going to see, yeah. Didn't. Yeah, and and I I talked to defensive coordinator Charlie Ramirez after the game, and he made a really good point. You know, Pittsburgh didn't get a second chance. The whole NCS Division One bracket could say they got a second chance. They just happened to be the team that ended up playing De La Salle because they were the two seed. But if they if the NCS had just moved De La Salle on, or there was another type of bracket. Like at that point, you are dinging the North Coast section for being creative and trying to figure out this process. So I, I yeah, they were aware of it. They were aware of the possibility. Um, but all the same, that's a rough break for a team that is clearly the second best team in this section. And that's behind a De La Salle team that is De La Salle. Uh, they deserve to be in, no doubt about it. But the home game away, I mean, the fact that the, the the section has made it so that they have a chance, I think you have to be happy that you're involved in in uh, that situation because you may have not have been able to play, you may not have had a chance to state at all. You know, with most most sections, they wouldn't have had a chance at state. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's a tough one. Well, we can move on. So, what's happening this week? There are some really good matchups on the board. First off for you, congrats on a good week of picks. Only Folsom spoiled your 3-0 week. You went 2-1. Uh, Rockland spoiled it. <laughs> I was going to say, as a champion of good defense, you had to probably be a little impressed with what the Bulldogs did this week. They both, played good def- they both played good defense in that yeah. game. It just You're absolutely right. Folsom played better defense, absolutely. Uh, so speaking of another great defensive effort, Campolindo's defense pitched a shutout in a 21-14 win over Foothill Pleasanton where the Falcons' only scores were an interception return and a kick return. Now, Camp Lindo gets the high-flying and under-the-radar, maybe, even McClyman. Uh, yeah, that's a tough matchup. So could Coach Macy and his ragtag Cougars keep this thing going? Well, you know, I have – you know, I'm, 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 I'm putting this whole pick on one game and one game only, and that one goes back in October or whatever it was when I picked McClyman's to beat Menlo Atherton. And that's that was the bane of my existence. It's <laughs> Mental Atherton, but you know, Mental Atherton gave St. Francis all they could handle. They did. Well, that team was obviously much better than we thought. McClymans took them to overtime. Uh, I, I understand that the teams they've been playing don't match up to the teams Campolindo's been playing, but I'm I'm hanging my hat on that game and just saying McClymans is. Uh, they got a lot of heart. They have too much firepower for Campo on this one. But Campo winning would not be like, oh, how did that happen? There's no doubt about it. But uh, I'm going to have to go with McClyman's on this one. Uh, now that I picked McClyman's, I'm expecting like a dozen cookies, you know, given under my name sent to De La Salle by someone from Moraga. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> well, handwritten in Sharpie. That's right. <laughs> Let's uh, let's move on to the Division 2A game with Manteca coming out of the Sac Joaquin section and Wilcox moving on from the Central Coast section. 
Yeah, you know, Wilcox played, you know, Pittsburgh tough. Uh, I think Manteca did a great job because Oakdale's traditional team getting to this game did a fantastic job turning the tables there. I just, once again, I think Wilcox has just played tougher teams, is more battle-tested, and uh, I, I expect Wilcox to pull this game off and uh, move on to state. So we'll see what happens. But I just think Wilcox, is, it's just – their schedule's just tough. It's been tougher, and they've done well against a tougher schedule. I thought I heard a story once that might have been from Mitch Stevens that uh, Wilcox coach Paul Rosa actually spent a lot of time with De La Salle trying to understand the nuances of the veer. Yeah, yes. Uh, I didn't realize he coached Wilcox. Okay. Uh, yeah, not a lot of people <laughs> run the veer, so we don't get a ton of people, you know, hey, I just run the option and all that because no one wants to run it, but uh, – yeah, he did. I remember that. He did. I don't know if you're a, a fan of the Marvel Universe, but you, you are aware that you're picking against a team whose uh, leading running back is nicknamed Thor, right? Yeah, well, it's never never a good idea to pick against any skilled guys with Thor or Lightning in their name Rocket, or Rocket. You don't. Those are the wrong guys, but... Good. I did. I did not know that. That's why we have you on this podcast, Ben, to give me that little bit of information. But it's like in horse racing: if if you bet the wrong horse, you keep the bet. You don't change it. That's just the way it goes. So, true. Right. Okay. Now, those who have been listening to us for the for the Pittsburgh. first day, okay. <laughs> go ahead, make it official. Give us your uh, thoughts I mean, on Pittsburgh in a tough travel game. Well, I was really impressed that. Uh, Rashada did not play, and Pittsburgh still did a great job. So they obviously have two quality quarterbacks. Um, I, I'm hoping all the receivers are going to be there. I, I don't, I don't have the injury report, but if Pittsburgh got all its weapons, I mean, that's a lot of talent. That I'm not sure if Liberty is, is seen. Although that you know that Central team's good, so you know I'll give them credit. So. I'm picking Pittsburgh, obviously. I'll never go against the Spartan, but that's that's going to be a tough game, especially down in the Valley. I'm going with Pitt, but uh, they're in for a dogfight. I will affirm your uh, faith with my own injury report, having watched them on Friday night. They did. They were down a receiver. Kai Taylor was out, um, but that left them with four Division One offer receivers rather than five. <laughs> um, and Christian Aguilar was absolutely great so i i think they're in good shape at the quarterback position okay, this week yeah. either way okay good so right. well that's uh that's the week that's coming up we'll see what happens and um you know more football at owen owens field you should at least be happy about that one more chance to go see a football game one more chance to see a game yes and it's going to be a beautiful evening it looks like by uh, looking at the weather forecast down the road here so a, a surprisingly mild night it looks like out there so um but one thing about this game though you know first of all we returned a kickoff for a touchdown in that game remember i said special teams would be a big deal and we blocked the punt um chances are neither of those are going to happen that's 14 points right there so uh you know it's not going to you know expect a, a different game uh, it's not, it's just not an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, as a defensive coach, it's hard to say like, 
this is what you're thinking. I mean, this is where I always say, don't coach yourself out of the game. So you did something the first time around that worked. Now, what are you going to say? Well, they know I'm going to do that. So now I'm going to do something else. It's one of my pet peeves in football. It's like, especially in the college game, they got these all American quarterbacks and they get down to like the seven yard line and they put some wildcat guy in. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And you just took him out of the quarterback position. I trying to be clever. Like, don't be clever. Let your players play. Agent Kyle Shanahan. Give no, the ball to Eli goodness. Mitchell, please. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, you know, what did uh, the Colts figure out last yesterday? Oh, Jonathan Taylor's in our backfield still? Let's give him the ball on the last drive. Hey, good thinking, Colts. And right down the field they went. So, you know, I mean, players play, man. Let the players play. I just drives me nuts when guys get clever at the goal line. They have these great quarterbacks. Uh, let them play. So, so that's the whole thing, right? You got your defense that worked. You know, you're going to, like, how much different are you going to do you know, when it worked the first time, I'm kind of the favor of like, it's so they know what you're going to do. But then again, it's like, yeah, it worked one time. You're going to have to show me it's not going to work again. So, you know, I never surprised anybody. I don't think that too many times, but that's the way it is. So we'll see what happens. All right. well, you, you may have surprised our listening audience because now we finally, after so many weeks, have our seven Friday night motto. Let the players play. <laughs> yep players play the players will play and we will be back next week to talk about it all thanks right, as always all right. thanks. All right. we'll next week. Guys. All right. Bye. well we'll say thanks once again to coach edson for joining us uh hopefully for the tremaine brothers he's not the first face they see when they jump off the bus in concord on friday but he might be the friendliest and he did throw us for a little bit of loop of a loop with that chestnut soup but I, I will admit, I badly want to try it now. <laughs> so uh, that's two weeks in a row where Edson food items have really piqued my interest. With that said, it's time to do a little picking. And I'm not talking about on the guitar. It is time once again to uh, prognosticate a week full of really, really good playoff games. And we're going to follow the same format as we did last week. I don't need to read off any games because you and I narrowed our choices to the top uh, two divisions or three divisions. I don't remember what it was. Top couple divisions uh, of the NorCal playoffs. And then we'll do some quick picking in a bit, but uh, I will defer. I have won the toss. I will defer to the second <laughs> half uh, and I will let you possess the ball first in uh, picks today. Okay. So here's my first, my first one here, the matchup of the division to double a playoff between Bullard, Fresno and Central Catholic uh, Modesto is a major contrast in styles. Bullard is a pass first offense behind senior quarterback and 3000 yard passer Roland Russo. While Central Catholic pounds the ball behind Ponyboy Taylor and Julian Lopez. The Raiders defense is what steals this pick for me though. Let's look at how they've done against past heavy teams over this season. San Ramon Valley Danville, 14 points allowed, tied for the Wolves season low. Kimball Tracy, 16 points allowed, a season low for them. They also held Eastern Union Manteca, which has a 3,000-yard passer, to 27 points and Merced to 28. All are, Both of those were below their season averages. 
I think Central Catholic's offense grinds out long scoring drives and the defense maintains its trend to lead the Raiders into another CIF Bowl championship game. So give me Central Catholic. Yep. Well, that's uh, great minds think alike. I am starting in the Division II AA championship game, just like you, Bullard of Fresno coming, well, sort of north, not terribly far north, to uh, host Central or to play Central Catholic of Modesto. And if you are listening to this, then by now you know my affection for the story of Pony Boy. Aiden Taylor rushed for three more touchdowns last week to help the Raiders come from behind with a dominant fourth quarter to beat Monterey Trail of Elk Grove 43-22. So, uh, subtext here, because I told you earlier I was on the uh, buttons and knobs on Saturday night, I was very interested in this game. Monterey Trail, you got a feel for those guys. They were ahead going to the fourth quarter, and they lost by 21. Great season for those guys, but Central Catholic, well done. Now, Pony Boy wasn't the team's leading rusher last week. You've already mentioned him. That honor went to Julian Lopez, who had 148 yards and two touchdowns of his own. Pony Boy did, however, have five catches for 74 yards, so not a bad night. This week, they see Bullard at 9-4. and four. Bullard beat the Drillers of Bakersfield last week to win their central section title in a decidedly Northern California game, if I must say so myself. Uh, you've already touched on it. The Knights are going to put the ball up. Roland Russo, almost 3,200 yards, 33 touchdowns. In doing my research, I did stumble upon this factoid on Wikipedia, and it was not cited, so I don't know if it's completely accurate, but that's never stopped me before. <laughs> Apparently, former NFL coach Mike Martz started his career as an assistant at Bullard in 1973. Wow. We all know, both from his time with the Rams and as a 49er, that Coach Martz liked to wing the ball around the yard. In my estimation, that is not the winning plan this week. Give me the ground attack of Central Catholic, and I am making that my lock. Wow, right. Moving right along, let's head back to the Central Valley itself. Where the pride of Pittsburgh, those pesky Pittsburgh Pirates are taking on Liberty of Bakersfield in the Division 1A, sort of NorCal, sort of not final at Bakersfield College. Now, we've already talked about Pittsburgh extensively, but I, what I will say, what I'll add in, is that while it would be optimal for Jaden Rashada and Kai Taylor to return this week, I think the Pirates can still win without them. Here's what they'll be facing. Liberty knocked off Central of Fresno 42-14 last week to claim a section title. Going through their results, here's one that our friends at Clayton Valley Charter won't find terribly funny, even though I find it kind of funny. <laughs> Liberty actually played Stellar Prep in Bakersfield this year. Stellar, of course, being the same team that bailed on Clayton the last minute. Now, that result doesn't matter quite as much as the one that happened on September 11th. Those same ugly Eagles beat the Patriots 14 to 13 in Brentwood. Yes, that was a travel game. Yes, Liberty is likely better now than they were then, but I'm really a big fan of what I saw last week at Pirate Stadium. I will also point out that Charles Brown is one of Pittsburgh's biggest weapons, and he had a comparatively quiet night last week. That's my key of the game. Brown goes wild. Pittsburgh earns a return trip to Southern California because anyone who's ever traveled from here to there considers Bakersfield in the South next week, they go back to SoCal and the pirates are playing for a state bowl title. And we might end up picking all three of the same games this week. I got a hunch, but 
we will uh so i uh since you just picked that game i will i will go ahead and stick with that game as well uh so here i am clashing once again with the calpreps.com how 9000 dot matrix printer texas instruments calculator sony walkman aol instant messenger commodore 64 prognostication machine which says liberty bakersfield is a three-point favorite in this game and uh, possibly that's just a three-point bump from being able to host, but it sounds like Pittsburgh is going to go early Friday and even practice down there on Friday night. So they should be plenty rested, plenty prepared. Liberty does have 26 takeaways this season, which does give me pause considering the Pirates can be turnover prone at times. Still, I think Pittsburgh, like you said, has the most talent of these two squads. And I think it's ticked off because they had to travel and I think they're going to be ready. So... I'm taking the Pirates. All right. I will finish this off with my lock pick. Um, none of these games should really be considered locks. Uh, but since we're making our since we're making ourselves pick one, I'm going to grudgingly take McClyman's in its three A showdown. In its three A showdown with visiting Camp Alindo. I think Max defensive speed is going to neutralize Campo Star wideout Robbie Mastroni. And I don't think the Cougars have a strong enough run game to keep the Warriors honest. And I'm kind of with Mark Tennis on this one. I think that CAF may have overcorrected a little bit after having, after sitting Mac in 2019 to a bowl game in division two, and they got blasted. And so I think they might've overcorrected a bit, uh, bringing them back down uh, for or two extra divisions. So um, it's been an awesome run by Campbell Lindo. Um, and we've said that already uh, once in this show. Um, but I just think this is like a bad, it's a bad matchup for them. Even, and, and I know in 2019 in head to head, Campo beat back in a, in a non-league game. So they could still prove me wrong, but for this one, I, I think I'm going to go with Mac and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make it a lock. So oi, oi, oi. Uh, yeah. is, that's, I'm not following you down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you're going, you're going by yourself. Uh, and, and I, you couldn't, that's a coin flip game, 100%. <laughs> um, well, all right. I have one more pick to make. You are absolutely spot on when you say none of these games should be locks. I am finishing right here in our own backyard. And even though I am well aware of who we chatted with for this week's interview, I view this as an opportunity to go the other way on a pick I made earlier this year. I freely admit that going into the first Folsom De La Salle game, I thought the Bulldogs were the team to beat. They'd been the best team I'd seen to that point. Now, as we discussed earlier, that's the game in which QB1, Tyler Tremaine, got hurt. And that changed the course of Folsom season. But before I make my pick, and it's probably pretty obvious where I'm headed at this point, I will point out that I've jumped back on the Folsom bandwagon with both feet in the playoffs. Because <laughs> that's how big a difference Tremaine makes to the whole system. Now, let's get down to brass tacks. De La Salle in a playoff game is a different team than De La Salle early in the year. And that De La Salle team was good enough to have its way with Folsom the first time. Will the Bulldogs adjust? Of course they will. But this one's behind the Oleanders. And two weeks ago, I saw a typical De La Salle performance in the win over Pittsburgh. Give me the Spartans to potentially set up, and it's a season of rematches, potentially set up another rematch next week if cathedral catholic can beat orange lutheran it's de la salle heading back to state for me so let's move ahead to our rapid fire 
uh, a rapid fire portion of the picks. And uh, I, this time we just we're gonna just do two like we did last week. Anything from uh, anything from Division uh, Four or uh, Division Three. Basically, any game we haven't talked about already. I don't care. Let's go. There you go. <laughs> Let's just open it up. Throw out the rule book. Throw it all out. Would you like to give first, or do you want me to go? You go. All right. Well, here's one that I, I think we should talk about for sure. I am very curious about this game, and uh, Vanden is the team that I just can't get my fingers or my hands around. I, I can't make heads or tail of, of what this team is. Uh, they've got a lot of firepower, um, that's for sure. And they've had some really big wins. I, I was looking at a common opponent between these two. They don't really, I don't think they really have one. So Windsor lost to Rancho, 28-27. Vanden defeated Foothill of Pleasanton, 34-20. And then Foothill beat Rancho, 35-7. So you can kind of play some transitive properties there. Um, and uh, kind of get a feel for where they both stand. I think Windsor is definitely on a on a. I think they've kind of rebooted and they're playing well. Uh, but I don't know. Do you have a feel for Vanden here? What are your thoughts on Vanden at Windsor? You know, I, I saw this matchup and I, I was kind of trying to think to myself who I would pick if confronted with it. And for most of the day since I've been doing my research, I've been on Vanden's side. And the reason is I picked Vanden, I think when we did our full slate of SJS picks and I was the only one to get Vanden right. That's not to say I know a ton about Vanden other than they're relatively, comparatively, they're close to here for an SJS They are a big school. passing team. They have a, they have a quarterback named Trey Dimes, who we've talked about before oh, yes. as an all-name guy. Yes, uh, who's thrown 39 touchdown passes. So Windsor's going to have to stop the pass. They will. Um, and so, like I said, I've been on Vanden all day, <laughs> but I am coming back to something. Generally, when I do an interview with a player uh, and the interview's going kind of well, I kind of try and, and work in a question of what do you think this team is capable of? And when I saw Windsor play Benicia, and I talked to Chase V. Meyer after that game. I asked him that question. And he said, I think this team can go to state. And I'm going to believe Chase V. Meyer this week. I'm going to pick Windsor. It's not scientific. I think Vanden has had a heck of a season and very well could go to the North Bay and win. But I'm going to go with Windsor. It's just a gut feel. All right, you go. So now that I've pontificated in a quick pick section, <laughs> let me – let me bloviate. Yeah, let me bloviate a little bit more. Uh, and it's small school mania, baby. Well, sort of. Some of these schools are bigger than others, to be perfectly honest. We're going to start with uh, one of the games that I'm actually planning to attend. And we're going to give a big tip of the, of the black hat to Mr. Black Hat himself. Because I loved his tweet about this matchup comparing Marine Catholic social strata and Escalon's dairy cows and almond orchards. <laughs> Over the top commentary aside, this is a whale of a game. You picked up earlier in this week and texted me about it that Michael Ingracia hasn't thrown a pick all season. He's a really good, something you can attest to since you've seen the Wildcats this year. Now, Escalon is 12 and 1. They beat Hillmar and their Linguista corn dogs 20 to 13 last week. And I've picked the Cougars multiple times this year to good effect. The Cal Preps, Hal 9000, 
Dot Matrix, Epson Stylus, Texas Instruments, Sony Walkman, AOL Instant Messenger, Tom is my only friend on MySpace, Commodore 64, Trash 80, thinks this is a comfortable two-touchdown win for Marin Catholic. Will the Wildcats enjoy a celebratory meal at Taqueria San Jose, next to me, or will happy cows and tasty almonds prove troublesome for Marin Catholic's stomachs? <laughs> okay. Well, before I make my pick, let, let me, sh- I, I did a little bit of research on a few of these teams and um, Escalon uh, has a guy named Riker, Riker, R-Y-K-E-R, Riker Peters. You're going to have to check him out because he's, uh, he's not only their leading rusher, just under a thousand yards and nine touchdowns, but he's also their leading tackler. So mm-hmm. always like to see that, right? Um, so that Riker Peters, um, they, they're a very balanced team. And they also, you mentioned that, uh, Ingracia does not have a pick this season. Well, Escalon has 22 as a team. So that's good. They got 31 takeaways. They also have 25 sacks this year. They're led by a freshman. Ryan Lewis has seven sacks for them. Wow. So Escalon's got some moxie and they're bringing it. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier in our, what, uh, name your, name that team segment, Marine Catholic can play some defense too. Most shutouts of any football team in the top five divisions uh, for the NorCal with five. Um, and I saw them play against McClyman's, a McClyman's team that I made a lock apparently about five minutes ago. Uh, so uh, I think I'm leaning towards Marine Catholic in this one. Moxie alert. <laughs> Moxie. All right. We will go to uh, Yuba City, where Sutter is hosting San Marin of Nevada. Uh, Sutter, long history of small school northern section success. Well, small to medium, medium for the <laughs> medium for the northern section, small to the rest of the world. So you have Sutter, which is a, um, it's actually a pretty balanced attack. Um, always a very well-coached team, good program. Samarin, it's the, this is their season, man. Everything is, everything is broken their way. Justin Gwynn is a stud. Uh, we've talked about him multiple times. He's rushed um, 207 times for 2,072 yards, 32 touchdowns. Uh, their quarterback, Joey Cook, over uh, over 1,900 yards passing, 28 touchdowns and just two picks. So they can run and they can pass. Samarin at Sutter, really good matchup, I think. What do you got? This is the year of shoulda, coulda, woulda, isn't it? If Pittsburgh and Sarah had played, Early in the year, we would know a lot more if Sutter and Camp Alindo had played early in the year. That's right. Scheduled, we would know a lot more. Um, I am a big, 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 big fan of the breweries and eateries in Marin County, California. And I have good memories of playing baseball at San Marin as a high schooler. Justin Gwynn is an absolute stud. The Mustangs are for real. It's a long trip. Sutter, like you said, is a historic program. But something's in the water in the MCAL this year. Give me San Marin. So, well, I I think I'm going with two gut feel picks here in the (laughs) quick picks, and I could be horribly wrong. I have had some gut problems lately. So, you know, (laughs) who knows? Um, But I'm going to wrap this up. With a game that you knew was coming. You knew. You didn't even have to talk to me. And you would know that we were getting to the Division 4A final. 
So to get there, you'll head into the city, you'll hang a left on Stanion, you'll find some parking, which isn't easy, and you'll end up walking the hallowed sidelines of Keysar Stadium for a Saturday night showdown between the host Sacred Heart Cathedral Fighting Irish and the Panthers of Chico. Last week, in this very segment, you restored the North State's faith in you by accurately picking Chico to knock off Foothill of Palisadro, and then you doubled down by actually physically going to Sierra Nevada, making me <laughs> jealous in the process. <laughs> this time, they square off with a team you have a complicated history with as the Irish beat Christopher 27-3 to to advance. Remember now, Sacred Heart Cathedral has a huge win over Bellarmine and has played a West Catholic Athletic League schedule, but a win in this game would bring the 6-7 and seven Irish back to 500. The computer says that's what will happen, but only has the host by two points. Will you stay true to your North State roots, or will you be toasting the luck of the Irish over a fine adult beverage at the Keysar Pub? I didn't have accurate stats that I was able to look up for these teams. So I don't have as good a feel for either one. I can only go by, um, I can really only go by looking at those two teams, looking at the league schedule, the Sacred Heart Cathedral played and their success in the playoffs. I mean, in the full season, they've outscored opponents 90 to 17. So that's pretty good. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know. I, you mentioned it. Uh, and I noticed it as well. The best win of, uh, that either of these teams has is the win over Bellarmine. I mean, Bellarmine was extremely impressive. They've been ranked all year. And they may still borderline be in our top 10. I think they're number eight. So Sacred Heart Cathedral beating Bellarmine is enough to move me onto the Irish side here on this one. I'm, I'm going to go Sacred Heart Cathedral over the Northern Section champion Chico Panthers. Pro tip for any fans who are unattached this weekend and their team is not playing. Keystar Stadium, former home of the 49ers, will forever be one of the best places to watch a high school football game. Right on, man. That's uh, That will be a real – that should be a good game. I think Chico will stay with them. I, I do just think the Irish are a little more battle-tested and they seem to be playing their best ball at the right time, which is what you got to be doing at this time of the year. So – we only covered a handful in that segment, but Ben and I have endeavored to make picks for all 13 of the NorCal regional games. And those can be found on this episode's dedicated page at sportsstarsmag.com. And there you have it. Another week of seven Friday night comes to a close. A big thanks to Folsom High brothers, Tyler and Josh Tremaine for joining us to talk Bulldogs football. And an equally big thank you to coach Edson for donating his time to us each and every week. Seven Friday Night is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for the number seven Friday night, and please rate and subscribe. We build Seven Friday Night using Anchor. You can leave a voice message for us by visiting anchor.fm slash the number seven Friday night. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home, sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there or find links to the various other platforms and check out a variety of bonus items that we tend to include. For example, our picks for all of this week's regional matchups. Also, be sure to follow the magazine on Twitter at, at sportsstarsmag 
and our new podcast Twitter home of at Sports Stars Pods. If you want to follow either Ben or myself on Twitter, you'll find us tagged on either of those accounts quite often. Design and photography for our cover art was by yours truly. Our theme music was produced by Dustin Phillips, who performs in multiple bands in the Sacramento area, including an awesome cover band called Popular Demand. Please look them up and like them on Facebook or keep their website at sacramentocoverband.com. And that should do it. Ben, your final thoughts. It's go big or go home time, right? Between the two of us, we are planning to see four games this weekend. And you know it's getting serious when even I have committed to drive myself a long distance to see a game. Didn't even whine about it this time. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm fired up to see three teams I have not seen this year. We've always really prided ourselves on having as diverse a knowledge set as we can when it comes to stuff like all NorCal. So getting to see teams like McClyman's, Marin Catholic, and Escalon, teams that I don't normally get to see a lot, that's really going to be fun for me. It also helps that the weather's supposed to be quite nice. So that's that never hurts. Uh, personally, I, I don't know how I feel about all these state games. I'm on record as being a, a huge proponent of the value of a section title. You know, something that I tried to put into words when it came to Pittsburgh last week. Um, so I guess I find myself less concerned with the winners and losers at this point. I'm just more excited to really see good football games. Uh, how about you? Uh, do you need to do any special exercises or drink any extra energy drinks to get through a two-game weekend? It, it's been a while for you and me. There were days when you and I would have looked at the schedule and figured out a way to, to squeeze a 1 p.m. game in there, too. Go and see Salesian. If I was if I was still at the newspaper, <laughs> my my Saturday would be at Salesian and Abacliments, without a doubt. Yeah, right. Uh, it's it's an exciting time for everybody involved, including us. And I, like you, I'm excited to see two new teams this week. I will see Manteca and Wilcox on Saturday. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's gonna be fun. Uh, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to it. And like you, I just, I mean. The Bulls next week, I'm not, it's not as big a deal as just seeing good football games. And uh, I hope we see, I hope you and I both see two good ones this week. And we have a lot to talk about next week. And we have some more good games in the cover on our final week. So with that, we will, uh, we'll wrap it up and everyone enjoy the games, man. Make sure you get, if you can get to one, get to one. Taqueria San Jose, it's San Rafael. If you're going to the Marine Catholic game, shout out. I'm coming for you. <laughs> we'll see you next week. All right, let's roll, boys. <laughs> <laughs>